Hi, and welcome to The Flow, presented by Herewex, a female-focused extension of Haemophilia Ontario, a not-for-profit dedicated to supporting the lives of those living with inherited bleeding disorders. I'm Natalie Filbert. And I'm Amy Griffith, and we're here to help lead the revolution for women's bleeding disorder care. A note before we begin that this is a safe place for anyone who finds value in the content, regardless of their gender identity or their reason for being here. Okay, so welcome Maya. I'd like to welcome Maya Myers to the show. Maya is the creator of the podcast Sister, You're Not Alone. She is a mom of two amazing teens and she has VWD type 2A. She's been involved with the Canadian Hemophilia Society for many years and is passionate about raising awareness for women in bleeding disorders. Maya lives in Toronto and works as an online behavior change coach with a focus on women in peri and postmenopause. So glad to have you here, Maya. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Maya, I thought we would start today with just telling us a little bit about yourself. For sure. So like you said, I live in Toronto. I'm a mom of two kids. I'm 42. And yeah, I have... I have von Willebrand's disease type 2A. I've known about it pretty much my whole life. So my family has a pretty strong bleeding history. And so I don't remember when exactly I got diagnosed, but I know it was a, I was a young child. And so I really remember just growing up, going to clinic all the time. It was just part of what we did. It was our our yearly checkup there. And it was just really part of growing up. So, you know, I went through pediatric clinic and then transferred into adult clinic from there. And then 10 years ago, I actually moved provinces. So I used to live in Saskatchewan. So now I'm in Ontario. So I switched clinics and, you know, just been continuing with my care and and that whole journey once I moved here. Okay. Okay. So this was a really normal part of your life, right? So often we hear about people who receive a diagnosis later on, maybe due Mm -hmm. to an injury or maybe due to a surgery, Whereas this was really something that you, that was just quite part of your life. That was normal for you. Yeah. Yeah, actually it was. And I, I guess I, I feel fortunate in that way and that, I mean, I've had a lot of troubles and struggles over the years with various things due to my bleeding disorder, but at the same time, because I knew I had it, you know, I always had a, a you know, a clinic team I could reach out to. I always had you know, product that I knew I needed to get or that kind of thing. So it felt like it was a little bit easier to manage in certain respects. Okay. And that would be a lot more helpful knowing that there were people to reach out to. But when you went into different sort of, maybe it wasn't the clinic, maybe you went somewhere else. Did you also find you had to kind of educate and advocate for yourself in those settings? Yes, completely for sure. Yeah. And and we hear about those stories all the time of like crazy emergency room visits and struggling to, you know, get your information across and what you need. And yeah, I've definitely had those, those times happen before as well. And it is difficult. And, you know, I guess that's part of my journey too, is just, it's, I've learned to advocate for myself during those different difficult times, which is helpful because you do learn to, you know, speak up for yourself and that you have to, and it's important because you know, you need, you know, the certain treatment 
to help resolve whatever the issue is. I actually have a story, a good advocacy story from my own personal experience. So basically this last year, I ended up having a hysterectomy myself. So as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm 42. You know, I, I have two wonderful children already. So that part of my life is is done. And I the, over the last few years, I've actually really struggled a lot more with my periods and they've just gotten like not great at all and really hard to manage every month. So I was, I've been infusing myself at home every month due to the periods. I fortunately I work at home, so that worked out okay because I really wouldn't have been able to go into work. It's just, it's been, it's been really rough the last couple of years. So in conjunction with my clinic and my gynecologist, we made the decision that I was going to get a hysterectomy, which I was totally on board with. And it was, it was the best decision for myself. So we had this all planned. Everything was lined up in terms of, you know, my infusions that I needed and all of the factor placement and management that way had the procedure. Everything went really well. Everything had been lined up in my chart of what I needed in terms of medical treatment post hysterectomy. And then that's where everything kind of was a bit of a disaster zone. So number one, I had had this hysterectomy procedure and then was put in like on the obsgyne floor. So like on the maternity ward rather. So it was placed there with, you know, everyone had just had babies. It's not really the necessarily the best spot, I think, for that type of recovery necessarily. And they weren't familiar. No one there was familiar with my bleeding disorder. No one was familiar with ordering factor, with how to give factor, all of those types of things. And so despite the fact that there was this very clear outline in my chart from my hematology team, there was still a lot of question, a lot of confusion. My factor was really given late. It wasn't ordered on time. And like I'd had a major surgery. It was a very stressful situation. Oh boy. Yeah. Cause you're just, you know, you're trying you're trying to recover. You're like just out yes. of surgery. And then you're trying to also manage making sure you get your own treatment on time and having it be given properly at the right dosage. And so there was a lot of confusion, a lot of problems. I was really strong in speaking up and saying, I need to, you know, this is what I need. It's written in my chart. I ended up having to call my clinic. They called back and would speak with the team. I asked to speak with the lead on the floor. So it was a lot of kind of back and forth and uh, it was a real struggle. So in the end, I was, it, it worked out okay, but not ideal into what had been kind of laid out of how it was going to go. And so, um, just, you know, I guess the point of bringing that stuff up, don't be afraid to speak up for yourself. Don't be afraid to say, this is what was supposed to be happening. And after that, I did reach out to my hematologist actually, and, you know, voiced my concerns and my complaints about what had happened. And she actually, they really took it to heart and they ended up having a team meeting. I was got a call a few weeks later saying that they had done that. They'd had a team meeting. They briefed everybody. They set up a different communication plan and we're actually implementing some changes, which I thought was amazing. So, so good. Yeah. So in the end, like I was able to like, okay, you know, it didn't go perfectly for myself, but hopefully for someone else, maybe going through at that hospital, you know, it can be better managed. Yeah. There definitely seems to be a need for better communication around you know, that pre that post treatment plan, I've had similar experiences with much, much less major surgeries, but Mm -hmm. you know, where that 
pre-plan, my experience was it gets back and forth. It's not understood. It's confused. It's argued. And then that alone is very stressful to a patient because you're aware that there's tension and you're aware that there's confusion. I'm really glad to hear that there's going to be that that team meeting resulted in some changes being proposed because that's what I was going to say. This is not the first time that I have heard that kind of confusion. Right. And you know, what is the, what, what do you do when you're following that? Cause to your point, when you are in recovery, you are not necessarily in the right space no, to be trying to advocate <laughs> no, and to be trying to figure out treatment and to be trying to figure out all of those things. So I can imagine that must've been very stressful. Yeah, it was a very stressful ordeal. And, you know, it could have, like I said, it, it shouldn't have been really yes, because yes. things were quite laid it was out. was a plan. So- there was a plan. Yeah, so exactly. you know, most of most of the time you would say, make sure you have a plan. Yeah. But then this is a great example of you had a plan and it yeah. wasn't followed. So then no. what to do? And I liked how you brought up because I myself wouldn't have necessarily thought to ask for the lead on the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I like how you brought up, you called the clinic directly and said like, this is yeah. what's happening. You need to speak to this particular team. So, and I think that your sort of solutions come from having all that experience. I wasn't diagnosed until much, much later. So my experience Mm. wasn't growing up having this part of my life. So I don't know that I would have thought to make that call, ask for that person. So I think this was, this example was so helpful because it gives a good reminder of these are things you can do because we do get a little yeah. bit paralyzed, especially For when sure. it's our healthcare, right? Yeah, and we're dealing with people who know right? more than we do yeah. or are supposed to, but yes. as many of us have experienced <laughs> as in a bleeding disorder, do not know more than we do, which is sometimes no. <laughs> even scarier because we're in that situation. So yeah, that's a great example. That's a great example. So thanks for that. Yeah, of course. But it can definitely be a struggle still for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We hear that a lot and I'm sure you hear that as well. Yeah. Now I know that you have, as I mentioned, you've done some work with the Canadian Hemophilia Society, but have you always been involved in the bleeding disorder community? Like what kinds of things have you done? Because you've been active that I'm aware of, but maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So I like my first kind of remembrance of getting involved was I went to a women in bleeding disorders conference. Actually, it was here, I think in Toronto, or I want to say Toronto or Montreal, I can't remember. But I went with my aunt, I was 17 years old. And my aunt and I flew out here. And we went to a conference. And it was just amazing. Like I just had such a great experience. And that was kind of like my first dive into it. And then kind of ever since then, I just I really I say I got hooked because I was like, okay, now I want to be involved. I want to be helping others and just learning more. And so, yeah, I got involved in Saskatchewan with our chapter there. And uh, I was president in Saskatchewan for a while there, and then moved out here and got involved with the Ontario board as well. And then I've sat on the national board for many years also. So it's been a really great experience. I've had the opportunity to go to a few world congresses also, which I have to see has been like um, amazing. They were really amazing experiences and just to meet so many people from around the world. And that kind of really led my 
I guess, sparked my interest even more in really trying to raise awareness and get the word out about women in bleeding disorders, because I saw so much of the disparity across the globe going to those conferences. But you know, and then that led to looking just even deeper within even our own, our own country. And there's disparity across the, the country too. So it's, it really just kind of sparked my interest even further. Oh, that's great. That's great. Because it's, it's always so inspiring when we have that passion because we're affected personally and that passion yeah. that really kind of motivates us to be mm-hmm. part of that community, be part of the helping now, if you, as you said, there is a lot of disparity and a lot mm-hmm. of people just trying to advocate for themselves or get that education. If you were someone in the community who wanted to get involved, but maybe didn't know how, mm-hmm. what would you suggest? Because you have a really great history of really jumping in and mm-hmm. saying, okay, I want to be part of this. And it started with a conference. Right. So, you know, what comes to my mind is almost, you know, for anybody listening, get to a conference if you can, right? Get to a conference. I know we have one of the next conferences coming up for Hemophilia Ontario is Rendezvous in Mm -hmm. May, 2023. So when I hear you talk, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I want to say to everybody who'd be listening, (laughs) like try to get to Rendezvous. It's in Niagara Falls, right? Yeah. It's going to be a great opportunity. And Hemophilia Ontario is actually going to be involved in the programming this year amazing. Well, not this year, but for this rendezvous yes. of 2023. <laughs> so when you said that, I thought, oh my gosh, that would be a great place to start. Because as you said, it kind of can be part of that catalyst of hooking you in and giving more ideas about yeah. how to get involved. But other like, so I jumped on your conference idea, but other than that, would there be any other things that if you, if a member in the community was like, you know what, I want to be a part of this movement. Mm -hmm. I want to be a part of doing this. What would you, what would be your advice? What would you say would be a good way to do that? Mm, That is a good question. I think, I guess if you're aware already of our, you know, of some of these organizations, you know, a great way is just to reach out to them and just say, you know, I want to, I want to do something. I want to be involved. You know, is there something I can help with? Is there something I can participate in? And it, it could be something small, right? But it's just starting to dabble your feet in, I guess, and get your feet or dabble and get your feet wet yeah. um, and get started. I think, I feel like the almost a bigger challenge is for people who maybe don't know about these organizations or they're just discovering the bleeding disorders kind of world and community. Maybe they've just been diagnosed or something like that. And I think a great resource is actually social media. Mm-hmm. And I've a lot of women that I've talked to, that's where they tend to get their initial anyways information from is they go on and they search and they go in and they're not Google searching, but they're going into Facebook, they're going onto Instagram and they're seeking out other people who are dealing with, you know, a bleeding disorder. And then that's how they're making connections. And I think, so I think that can be a really great way to, to get yourself kind of information and then learn about these organizations and then tap into that. Right. Okay. That's excellent. That's really good thinking. Thank you for that. And I also was thinking as you were talking that the other important thing I think to maybe put out there is when we think of volunteering or getting involved, mm-hmm. lots of times we think of that like, oh my gosh, where do I even start? I don't have time. There's, I would have to give a big commitment. But in many cases, you can even volunteer to be on a project. You don't even yeah. have to be like an ongoing 
volunteer or something, somebody doing something. It can be something small that sparks you, or you could introduce a project. Like say there was something you wanted to do. You could come and bring it to us or bring it to somebody, one of the organizations and say, Hey, I thought of this. So you, yeah, that's given me a lot to think about because we're always trying to find opportunities for people to get involved at whatever place they want to be. Right. Yeah. Whether it's a project, whether it's ongoing, maybe part of a committee, whatever it is, but being, if you want to get involved, kind of being able to throw yourself out there and pick and choose where you fit or where you desire to be there. So thanks for that. Yeah. Cause I think, I think a lot of people would have that question, but wouldn't really know where to start or how to even begin to broach it. And being somebody who has so much of that experience, especially, you know, not just this province, but in another province and kind of working your way through that. I think that's, those are really good ideas. So thank you for that. Yeah. So I want to maybe switch gears and start to move towards talking a little bit about your podcast, Sister, You're Not Alone. Maybe you could give us a little bit of an idea of how you came to decide to do that, because that's a commitment. That's, you know, that's also a commitment to do. (laughs) So talk a little bit about how did that come up? How, how did you come there? For sure. So kind of just started a couple, like a year and a half ago. And I was really starting to kind of, I I mean, I'm not on any boards anymore at the moment and, and that's okay. But I've, I was like still wanting to do something else to be, you know, involved in, I guess, still raising awareness. And so a friend of mine actually had started a, a health podcast about ostomies and, um, that got me thinking, I was like, oh, you know, I could use that as a, as an avenue to really start reaching out to people and create kind of a community and raise awareness that way. And so that's kind of what initially kind of got me started. So I thanks to, I give thanks to her for the idea. (laughs) And yeah, I just, that's, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I just started it. I began it in, it was a February, it launched this year. And so it's been going very well so far. We have 17 episodes that are up so far and we've got over a thousand downloads now. So I'm super excited about that. So a lot of people are, are listening, which is, is great. And yeah, like I really started it with the goal of kind of having us place to have safe conversations, being just candid conversations as well about any woman who's living with a bleeding disorder. So that was kind of the focus. And we really talk about everything. So anything that's like from diagnosis to struggles with periods, surgeries, managing your care, life after periods, because we end those at one point, you know, advocating for yourself. That's a huge piece. And really also the impact that everything has on our mental health. So we try and touch on a lot of different subjects. And my hope is just that we can normalize these discussions and conversations and raise awareness and encourage and empower women. Okay. Okay. Nice. And how, like, how did you decide? Because, so these are set up like stories, right? Kind of. Yeah. We maybe talk a little bit about like how it's, how it's set up. How does it, how does that come to, first of all, how is it set up and what made you decide to do it in this format? Well, so the podcast episodes are just, they're specific and focused on a single person. So it's a one woman story basically. 
And so we detail, like like I said, her diagnosis story, you know, struggles that she's had, obstacles she's had to overcome. We touch on all those like kind of different topics, like I was mentioning. Um, And they're really, you know, I've got women from all ages. So women in their 20s, all the way up into their 60s. And from all varying backgrounds. So I have women from different countries as well. So it's not just specifically to Canada. I have women from the US, from Europe, the UK, Puerto Rico. So a real diverse group of women, which is amazing because Mm -hmm. everybody's story is so unique and it really depends on, you know, also where you live, you know, how are bleeding disorders managed in those different countries? And it, it does definitely vary as well as our healthcare systems vary, insurance varies, all of these different things. So we really just kind of touch on all of those different topics that are related to that woman's story. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that. And when you were thinking of doing this podcast and you were thinking, okay, this is, this is something maybe I could get into, you know, you said, I'm not on boards anymore. I could this. And I also liked the connection when you said that your experience is that a lot of the searching happens through social media and through different Mm -hmm. things like that. So how, how did you decide on, you know what, I think I'm going to focus on a single story for each episode. How, how, like, rather than, you know, it could, you could have gone any direction with a podcast episode. It could have been just you kind of talking each time, who knows, but (laughs) how did you decide that, you know what, I'm going to try to find women that would like to share their single story and their journey. What made you decide to do this sort of single Mm -hmm. story piece? I think it was just the part of that ability to share our story and women as women, I feel like a lot of times we like to talk a lot (laughs) and we like to share, right? We like to share our experience and we like to hear others' experiences. And it gives us that sense of, I'm not alone. You know, hence why the name is sister, you're not alone because oftentimes with a chronic illness, we have a lot of times where we can feel really alone and we can feel like we're the only ones struggling with this. And especially if you maybe haven't found a community as well, you know, you don't, you maybe haven't heard other stories yet and you haven't heard other women's struggles and said, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize like, yeah, I feel this exact way. I've had to deal with this exact situation. And so I think that was kind of my underlying goal with it or reason for kind of going that approach. It's it's helpful, I think, to, like I said, share that story and be able to give those examples and hear those ways of people overcoming those struggles as well. You know, resources of, of reaching out and saying, hey, you know, I heard your episode of this podcast. Like, I'd love to talk to you more about XYZ. Right, right, right. And share their story if yeah. they so if they so chose to. Yeah. And do you think now part of like our goals at Hemophilia Ontario are to also be really making an open space and a welcoming space for anyone who menstruates? Because if you have, you know, a menstrual period or you menstruate or you have any, but you don't identify as a woman, uh-huh. these these things are still applicable to you. So do you think that that would be a useful resource for others who maybe don't identify as women, but have these similar relatable bleeding challenges? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because I mean, if you're having those same sorts of bleeding issues, 
<clears throat> much of the discussion is still going to feel like you, you would relate to it. Right. So yeah. I definitely think that's, yeah, uh, applicable to anyone, any, anyone who is menstruating or having those types of bleeding issues. We do talk about it quite a lot in the podcast because it's a common one, right? <clears throat> that tends to be people's biggest issue because it happens every month or right. more so often. Right. So yeah, definitely, definitely. Right. Because it, with heavy menstrual bleeding, it would be applicable because it often does come up in, in, in everyone's kind of journey along the way at some yeah. point, if there exactly. is vaginal bleeding, it's bound to come up in the conversation. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's helpful to know, especially as we sort of expand and try to make these spaces welcoming to anybody who menstruates and is dealing yeah. with a, a bleeding disorder. So if somebody wanted to kind of come on your podcast mm -hmm. or reach out to you or maybe share their story, how, how, how would they find you? Yeah. So I'm, I, they can find me on any social media. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Maya Leticia is my handle. So they can reach out through there. I do share those podcast episodes on those platforms as well. So you can always find them and then, and, and then comment there or send me a message for sure. The podcast is also on um, Spotify and Apple as well. So you can find those there too, but anyone can also just reach out to me through email as well. I'd be happy to speak with them and I'd love love to hear their story and be able to share it with others. So if anyone is interested at all, I am more than open to, to having that discussion with them. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Yes. Because our experience also has been that, um, people like to hear relatable stories. One of, one of the sort of key things that we hear or that I hear all the time is because it is considered a rare disease. Um, mm -hmm. you, you do, you're not talking about it with everybody when you no. go into a setting or you go into, you know, anywhere and you say, I have a bleeding disorder. There's not a lot conversation that follows that <laughs> people don't no. really know how to respond to that. And probably because it is rare typically, and it's not well known. So there's not a lot of spaces that you can go in comfortably kind of talk about oh yeah I have this experience and the other person would say me too oh my gosh what do you do when that happens and yeah I think what stories provide is this opportunity to absorb that and go oh my gosh okay yes I feel that too or I go through that too I know yeah. what that feels like and that's why I think stories and opportunities to even come together when like, so for yeah. us, we try to do programming that brings people together to be able to do exactly that. And, and again, my experience always is when we come together as in person, people are so excited to like, everybody jumps off of everybody's conversations because it's so nice to be in a room yeah. where there are other people who have similar experiences. And I think that's a real benefit to having someplace you can go and read about other people's stories yeah. and hear about those things that where that resonate with you and you go oh my gosh or you learn something even yeah. that you didn't know before or because I know there's some episodes of your podcast that talk about even parenting yeah so when you're parenting and you have a bleeding disorder and and I think those are great if you're not a parent maybe you find that interesting and you want to yeah. go and hear more about that, read more about that, or 
find out more about that. So I think, I think mm-hmm. that stories is such a great resource in so many ways for people to be able to just really sit and listen and, and kind of absorb that information. So I, I thank you so much for coming today. Is there anything else that you want to share? Or I just don't want to make sure that if there's anything else you wanted to expand on that you have an opportunity. I, I don't think so. I think that was great. Thank you so much for having me. I guess just the last piece of it. Yeah. Like I think just if women, if you know, if you, if you're out there, you're, you know, you're struggling with a bleeding disorder, you are working through that and you want to share your story you know, if do so, do so, because you're right. It's like, it can benefit someone else so much as well as ourselves just to express that and be, feel we're listened to and we're heard. That's such a huge part of it. And it just encourages others, like you say, to, to have that connection and realize that they're not by themselves going through this. And you can work through struggles that you're having. There's, there's, options out there. There's ways to get the answers you need and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just helpful to, to be able to hear that from somebody else. So if you're, if you're open to sharing, share, share, share. (laughs) And I would add to that, actually, you just made me think of something I would add to that too. It, It doesn't have to be a grand story. Like I think a common thing that I often hear and feel myself is that, you know, I have a mild diagnosis Yeah. Who's going to want to hear my story. Uh And I think that that is something that we often hear in the community. So to what you just said, I would add to the fact that all stories, anybody, somebody is going to be able to relate to that. It's, it's, it's worth hearing if you want to tell it. So there shouldn't be any question about, I don't know, would my story be worth sharing? It's always worth sharing because there will always be someone else. Exactly. Someone else will resonate with that and will appreciate hearing the story. So Mm -hmm. you actually made me think of that when you were talking. So (laughs) thanks for that. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, thanks again. It's been wonderful to have you on and I'm glad you were here. So thank Thank you you so much for having me. All right. The Flow is presented by Herewex, a female-focused extension of Hemophilia Ontario, a not-for-profit dedicated to supporting the lives of those living with inherited bleeding disorders, in partnership with funding by Octopharma. Find us online at www.heroix.ca. That's www.h-e-r-o-i-x-x.ca for resources, research, and support from our community. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.